Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. Romans chapter 12. To give you a quick history on, uh, on this particular book, uh, it was written for three particular purposes. First of all, this church in Rome was actually established by Jews who were eyewitnesses to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So this was not a church that was established by the Apostle Paul. It was established by Jews. Now, the odd thing about that is Rome is not Jewish. So when you have Jews that start the church and they are still trying to figure out how to come out of the history of Judaism under Christianity, but they're in a place that's, by, that's 90% Gentile compared to their 10% Jewish. So when they establish the church and open the doors, what happens? You have Gentiles coming to the church who have no Judaistic hist- history at all, n- even no knowledge other than what little bit they would have seen displayed uh, in the open. And you have these individuals who have come into the church now under these people who, who are under Judaism, and they're both trying to figure out Christianity. But you've got one who has no history and no knowledge at all, and you've got the other who has too much history and too much knowledge are actually trying to draw it into the New Testament, the, two, the New Testament application of things. So the first, the first purpose of this letter was to bring unity to the church through doctrine. That was his purpose to bring unity between the Jew and the Gentile through doctrine, all right? Second was to teach the church accurate doctrine that even went outside of the relationship of the two religions to teach them accurate doctrine. The third reason was for him to find support for a mission trip. The mission trip never happened. Um, As far as we know, it never happened, I should say. Not that it, but as far as we know, it didn't happen. This particular book was written for those purposes, and when you when you look at the when you look at the Jewish side of things, the Gentile side of things, if you understand that history at all, you understand where the clash is at. Judaism is built on on legalism. It's built on the law. It's built on you following the rules. Jesus Christ, with Jesus Christ, that the relationship's a proper relationship. We still care a lot about the rules. The rules just aren't what drive us. Okay? So when you, have, when you have individuals who are teaching legalism and other individuals who are understanding Christ through grace, those are two huge conflicts that are going to rub one another. So in order for both of these individuals to come together in this particular chapter, the way that he's addressing it, the way for those two individuals to come together is for them both to realize that to some extent, both of them are wrong. It's not about which one was right or which one was more right. To some extent, both of them were wrong. So what is the first thing that we have to do before we can even begin to accept that we're wrong? Well, the first thing that has to do, you have to do is you have to understand your place. And if you are what the beginning of this chapter says that you are, then you're in the right place. Because this is, and and I'll expound a little bit on this, but let's go ahead and read chapter 12, start with verse 1 of the book of Romans. 
Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. In order for us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, that means that we have to give ourselves over to the control of him whom we say we trust. That's what a sacrifice is. And you know what the sac- you know usually you know how it turns out for a sacrifice usually? I mean, in our world today, it doesn't turn out real well for sacrifices, does it? But the difference is a living and holy sacrifice. In other words, you don't have to die to die. You just have to die in Christ to die. And we have to be people who can put ourselves in the position to say, there is a possibility that in everything in the world that I could be wrong. Why? Because if I'm truly a sacrifice then I'm going to believe exactly what God tells me to, and I'm going to desire to do exactly what God tells me to, and not because I'm afraid of breaking the rules. It's because of the relationship. But I can promise you one thing. You will never, ever, ever see one ounce of change out of an individual who does not have the humility to admit that they have the capacity under all circumstances to be wrong. Because otherwise, how do you even open your mind to the other side? Thinking today, not a strong point of most American citizens below the age of 30 or so. Not that there aren't smart ones out there, okay? But thinking, I'm not, this isn't even calling people dumb. I mean, I'm not, my intention is not to do that. We're talking about thinking, we, we would call it critical thinking. You know what literally has to happen in order for you to critically think? You have to be capable of arguing with yourself. It's the truth. It's the truth. The world, apart from, jumps into everything in the world headlong. There is zero direction to what they do other than the satisfaction of self. That's all the non-believers out for. They will find it in many different places, but you look at them, it's very easy to see because they find what they trust in and they put all into it. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're, our spiritual service of worship is to be a living and holy sacrifice. That means to care what God says about your life, the direction in your life, and how that impacts everybody else on the planet. I'm bad about something. It took me a long time to admit it because I just disregard people when they'd say it. And if I ever hurt your feelings, please know I don't intend to. I have ADHD. It's a fact. I've always said OCD and ADHD together is kind of a blessing. But I have ADHD. And you can be standing here talking to me mid-sentence. And if somebody walks up behind me and I have something to say to them, I will, I will turn away from you mid-sentence and, and address what needs to be addressed here. And it's worst. Because I'll catch it after I do it, but by then the damage is done, right? It was so rude to turn away from somebody mid-sentence. What do they think of me? And honestly, it's just my brain going, oh, take care of that. Doesn't matter where you're at right now, just take care of that. You know how long it took me to admit that? And the fact is, until I did admit that, do you know how much changing I was willing to do? Not a bit. Why is it necessary for a person to admit that they're broken before Jesus will fix them. Why is Jesus always responding 
to us. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Jesus is honestly going, what kind of a relationship do you want with me? Because you can have it. You can have the relationship where I'm the raincoat God, where once in a while when you need me, you just reach behind the door, take it up off the hook, put it on your body, use it for the day. If the sun's shining the next day, you can hang him back up, right? He'll let you serve him that way. He will. He'll let you claim Christianity with no desire to ever attend church again, and he will allow you to stay stunted in your growth as an infant in Christ. He will let you do that if that's what you choose to do. But if you were truly a sacrifice, what do you suppose he would ask of you? Because I'm here to tell you, folks, that is never, ever pleasant. Remember what I said? What's the natural effect of a sacrifice? Never ends well, does it? If we say we're going to follow Jesus, why don't we just do it? Why do we let Satan creep in and jab himself into the cracks and crevices of our life and openly play with him? There are lines to draw, and each individual in here is responsible within their own relationship with God. I don't have the right to draw lines for you. And you also don't have the right to draw lines for me. But I can promise you one thing, just because I can't do it to you and you can't do it to me doesn't mean that there aren't any. God draws his line with you. And he expects, his, he expects progress when we fail. He expects us to move forward when we fall. Accept the mercy, it's there. Accept the grace, it's there. There is no biblical argument against grace and mercy. But don't allow yourself to be put in a place where you miss what God is doing. And it makes perfect sense. If you make the decision today before you walk out the door that you are going to be an army for the Lord, that you're going to share the gospel where opportunity pre presents itself, or you're going to stand up where wrong is happening. You're going to speak up and do it with all of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. What kind of a life do you think you'll experience? Well, there's a difference between the one that you experience in here and the one that you experience out here. Because I can tell you, the experience you have in the relationship here, it can help you tolerate an awful lot of stuff out here. The sacrifice. And it doesn't say that it is a spiritual service of worship. What does it say? Your spiritual service of worship. And look what he says here. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The truth is, you have one side of the story. The natural fallen human being, every one of us are capable of doing what any other human being is capable of. That's the natural side. 100% of the people on the planet have it. But the Christian's been asked, do not be conformed. In other words, don't mesh yourself into the mold of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, you need the other side of the story in order for you to make a complete decision, an accurate decision, the best decision. Remember what I said about thinking? You gotta argue with yourself. You see that fallen human being still in here. He's still here. 
because my lungs are drawing breath, that fallen human being is still here. I still know that side of the story. But if I'm not conformed to that form of life, but I am transformed by the renewing of my mind, now I have the ability to see both sides and I can tell what I say, whether it's gonna hurt or help. What I do, is it gonna hurt or help? You can't make that decision without knowing the two sides. So we know the two sides, mainly for what reason? To recognize the evil. To recognize evil. To be able to defend others when evil comes to its doorstep. To be willing to step out in the darkness, not knowing where that's going to lead you. To grab the hand of somebody who can't find their way out. Scary out there. Terrifying, to be honest with you. But if we don't go through this renewing of the mind, then we'll continue to just live with the same desires we've always lived with as a human being. And they're not all good. We get stuck in situations that destroy our testimony. And for what? Renewing of our mind. You picture the person who's done the worst that you've ever had done to you on the planet. God says, forgive them. Somebody who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus goes, what, are you nuts? But someone who has Jesus knows that Jesus said that if you don't forgive others, you will not find forgiveness from your Father in heaven. Changes the stakes, don't it? So when I approach a situation where, where somebody needs forgiveness, that knowledge gave me both sides of the story. Which one does evil and which one does good? Then we follow through with what is good. Not good per- perception, the perceived good, but the good that's actually adding kingdom quality to this fallen, dirty, rotten, stinking planet. Why do you need your mind renewed? So that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. It's one thing for me to run around here and say what God's will is, right? But how do you make something that's on a page come to life? Because as long as you're looking at the one side of the story, you're only going to be worried about one person. Self. Because that's who we are as human beings. We naturally run the self-preservation route for everything. But if we know that the will of God is good and acceptable, perfect, And if we know that us knowing scripture and applying it to our lives is what provides that, then why are we not consuming as much of that as we can possibly consume? You want abortion to stop? We need to talk about Jesus more. You know, pedophilia, this idea that it needs to be legalized, you want it stopped? You need to tell more people about Jesus. The truth is, probably can't turn this boat around. I've read the end of the story. 
I know for a fact that one day it's going to slide right off the edge of the cliff. But the question is, how many people could you grab a hold of before it does? And God himself used those words, snatching some out of the fire. Responsibility. You ever look at a family or look at an individual who's hurting? And they may be hurting for a very specific reason, but you have the antidote without even knowing what the reason is. If you could look at a person who was genuinely sad and knew that they could become happy and that you have the power to at least influence that situation, would you do it? I believe everybody's good-hearted. I believe that everybody would say, absolutely, you better believe it. But in the practice of the busyness of our lives, we become so focused on what we have to get done that we forget just how much good we can do. There are two churches now that are talking about paying for their kids to go to camp. You know why? Because Highland does it. And the Lord told me to say this, and I said it to two people. We just don't have the money, said kids can't. I said, you want to compare budgets? And they looked at me kind of funny, and I said, the truth is churches pay for their priorities. They choose what's most important, and they, and they allocate their funds to support whatever it is that they, want, that they want to support. So if a church says that they're not going to pay for their kids to go to camp, it doesn't mean that they don't care about their kids. It just means that their kids going to camp is not a financial priority. And there's nobody who could, who could really say anything against that because I mean, the facts are the facts. The truth is when we started doing it, we started seeing the good that it was doing. The students we were taking to Washington State Park and baptizing in the river, which has been numerous over the years. We've got one right now that, that accepted Christ at camp this year that we've got to sit down and figure a baptism for. And praise God, him and his dad. <laughs> so I mean, good and acceptable and perfect. Just know, folks, that we can't fix everybody's life, nor should we be people who accept that responsibility. But we definitely get to choose whether we're going to help somebody in their day are we going to hinder them in their day? Are we going to make their day a little brighter? Or are we going to make their day a little darker? Because that's the two sides of the coin. That's the renewing of the mind. And the proving the will of God, that perfect will of God, proving it is the result of that influence in another individual's life. That's the proof. Verse 3 says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted each a measure of faith. Don't think too highly of yourself. Think so as to have sound judgment. You have a bad attitude sometimes? You know how hard it is for people to admit some things? It's really hard for people to admit some things. But the truth is, we're all fallen. I mean, we serve the perfect one. The perfect one. There wasn't another. He's giving, he has given each of us a measure of faith if we trust in him. And that measure of faith is what should be determined in order for us as individuals to be able to understand exactly where we are in our faith. 
Because I'll tell you what, I would go so far as to say, and this ain't bragging because it's actually a humility point, so stick with me. I would, I would bear to guess, and should be, I've done more Bible study, prepared more Bible studies, sermons, study time, than anybody else in this church right here. Last 30, 32 years, a lot of Bible study. You know what conclusion I drew when it comes to the Bible? The more you learn, the more you realize that you don't know. The more you learn, the further from the finish line you get. Do you get that? Progress is actually you going backwards in your understanding of who God is. Because as you open up one door, it just opens another huge building. And you think that you got this topic nailed down. And then all of a sudden, you come across a scripture passage that goes, oh, there may be a little different to applicate that one. And it never stops. That measure of faith, everybody in their relationship with Jesus Christ has grown to a measure of faith. And that measure of faith ought to at least be helping us to keep it real. Keep it real. Do you have a bad attitude sometimes? Do you know what will stop an argument faster than anything else? For you to recognize that and be willing to admit it out loud. You ever walk in and your spouse tell you, hey, I'm just, I'm just letting you know I've had a bad day today. And what does that mean? Does that mean you're going to run around and ask when dinner is every 10 seconds? No, we get the hint, Right? We have the ability to figure this stuff out if we just desire to, to see God's part of it and critically compare it to, to, the, to the part that we've always had. Because this is the only way you really know what evil looks like. And this is the only way you really know what good can do is to recognize, are my actions a negative when it comes to my influences or are my actions a positive when it comes to my influences? And the influences, it better be positives. Why? God forgive any man who stands before him and was cruel to his people. Because he's the one that says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And one thing that gives me peace, and as much as I hope and pray that every person turns, every person that's ever hurt me in my life, I hope they turn, I hope they get to go to heaven. But if they don't, I've taken solace in the fact that God can get them way better than I ever could. And it's because it's a fact. Why do I need to be someone who has the ability to get one over on somebody? Getting one over on somebody is self-satisfying. Is that fallen or is it glorifying? It's fallen. Can you recognize if you're a liar? Can you recognize if you cheat? Can you recognize the person that you are? Because until we actually isolate and recognize that person and who they are, we can't, God can't touch any part of you. He can't do it can't won't you knock he'll open you seek you'll find because if you seek he's going to show himself to you people all the time going i don't even see god in my life anymore well geez how often do you talk to him because if you aren't seeing god 
every second of every day of your life, there's a detachment somewhere. And you have to be critical to yourself to find out where that detachment's at. Otherwise, it never gets fixed. And it's a character flaw. It's a personality flaw. It will always get in the way of ministry. It will always get in the way of the gospel. It will always get in the way of kingdom production. 100% of the time. Been at Highland for 23 years, something like that. We've baptized almost 300 people in 23 years. Now some of the people, they left this church because God called them places. Quite a few of them did. Some of them left because their feelings were hurt. Why do you suppose their feelings got hurt? Well, people are just too sensitive. They can't hear anybody telling me anything. No, they're not too sensitive. Sometimes we can just be, be pretty brash individuals. I had a brother. Didn't go to church for a long time. This man at the church always just didn't know when to stop. Brother pulls up in the parking lot, gets out of the car. This guy walks out, puts his arm around him, and he goes, oh, praise God, our lost sheep has come home. Left church again. People attending church, the people around them have everything in the world to do with that. A church being a church family, loving individuals when they come in, no matter where they come from, that's who the church is. It's not some propped up structure that's trying to give a name to itself so it can pull the funding it needs to be able to pay everybody. This is supposed to be not not for profit as far as this world's concerned. But we aren't working for worldly profit, are we? We're working for kingdom profit. And the only way that kingdom profit works is for individuals to understand that God will let you be who you want to be. He will let you do that for the rest of your life. The question is, is you not being who God wants you to be? Just how bad is that affecting the other people in the world around you? This isn't to bring pressure on people. I'm, I, I'm a big believer in grace and mercy and peace. And the fact that if, if you failed yesterday, any time before, today or tomorrow, you've been forgiven for that sin if you're truly someone who, who trusts in Jesus Christ, their personal Lord and Savior. Because real believers don't run out and try to sin, and real believers feel bad when they break somebody's heart. So you have these two groups of people in the church in Rome. Both of these people are at each other's throats because they come from completely different religious philosophies. And Paul's telling them, both of you have to stop. You have to figure out what God's doing here. And then you have to correctly calculate that based on your information and your information and meet in the middle. Because both of them are too far off one way or the other. And he gives them that instruction pretty straightforward and pretty clear. Verse 4, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. Or I'm sorry, he, he who gives with liber, liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. 
Let love be without hypocrisy. Why did he just bring this whole thing about parts of the body? I, uh, I hurt myself all the time now. I told my wife I was a lot better when I was locked to a desk or a steering wheel. So I just hurt myself all over the place now. Um, if you had a broken finger, this one, in order to fix this one, would you break this one? What well, doesn't make much sense, does it? But if an individual is in a church and they're broken and they're a finger, how does the church typically respond to broken fingers when it comes to people? Kick them out. Hold them down. Beat them with that big old heavy preacher Bible. One guy who attended church here quite a while ago, I think he said it the best when he said, Christians are about the only ones who shoot their wounded. They don't try to heal them, put bandages on them. They shoot them. It's true. I can tell you as someone who's been a Christian for most of my life that that's absolutely true. How important is it if God called you to be a prophet? And don't freak out. He's not calling you to be Elijah. To be a prophet literally just means to speak an absolute truth under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's what prophecy is. If you're a prophet, that means that God gave you a gift to speak the truth. So you tell me, how much should you put into it? Because you know what the truth will do? It'll heal a wound. It'll heal one. It's kind of like salt sometimes. Never get salt in the cut. Hope heal it up quicker, but it sure ain't very pleasant. <laughs> Let love be without hypocrisy. You know what that means? Don't just love the people that you love. Don't just love the people who love you. That's what that means. Because we've turned love into a construct that is absolutely conditional. Not okay. Let love be without hypocrisy. If you're going to love the Jew, you'll love the Gentile too. If you're going to love the religious person, the person who's there all the time, you've got to love the person who's not too. If you're going to love the person who gives, you've got to love the person who don't. Why? Because not everybody's aware of these gifts that are there and for the purpose of benefiting the church body. In order for them to get there, they have to learn. And as they learn, they get their other side of the story. And when they get their other side of the story, that's when God begins to mold and make them into the person that he wants them to be through the other side of the story. Because the truth is, and you know it as well as I do, you have a choice in everything. You wake up on Sunday mornings, there is nobody forcing you to go to church. You make a choice to. 
And the truth is, without even thinking about it, those choices, they carry benefits and consequences. Because you may not believe this, but anyone that's in this place today, when you're not here, I miss you. Why? Because you are a part of the body. What part of your body could, miss, could be missing and you would miss it? I knew you'd crack. <laughs> We're supposed to be caring for the body of Christ. And just as much as we're individuals who care for the body of Christ, there's probably any number of situations that we remember where the body of Christ also cared for us. It's reciprocating. I get a scratch on this hand. You know what this hand will do? It will go into the medicine closet. It will pick up the peroxide and will clean the wound. It will put an antibiotic ointment on it. And then we'll put a band-aid on it to cover it for a little while to keep the dirt out of it to give it the best chance to heal. That's what my right hand will do for my left hand. When my left hand gets cut, you know what my right hand won't do? It won't chop my left hand off. It won't execute it. God did not put us here to be people to destroy. He put us here to be people who will consistently restore individuals in their relationship. And everybody has fallen some distance. And everybody needs that mercy and they need that grace and they need that peace. But you can get that grace, mercy, and peace in an active relationship with God, knowing that in every step and everything that you do, he is using you to make somebody's day better. And how beneficial is it for one person's day to be better? What does it mean to the woman who's checking you out at Walmart if she goes home happy? What does it mean for her relationship at home? What does it mean for her relationship with her kids? She goes home because somebody ticked her off. She ticks her husband off. Now her husband's mad when he goes to work. See how that works? It's a, it's a spaghetti web. But God's given us the ability to be able to perceive what that looks like. And to be able to be someone who has the ability to be able to say, there are two sides to this coin. Which one of these two sides glorifies God and really accomplishes what is good? And then when you decide what that is, what do you do? Cling to it. You cling to it. Because when a person critically thinks... It's very easy to determine which one of the two categories the two sides fit into. One of them is clearly evil, and one of them is clearly good. Abhor what is evil. You know what that word abhor means? If it's abhorrent, do you know what that means? It means it's so bad that it makes you physically want to turn away from it. Abhor what is evil, but cling to what is good. Why? Because when you start to do good, you're going to have to hold on. Because you make yourself a target. <coughs> He's coming for you. 
Let me encourage you a little bit in that, though. He's not omniscient. Satan's not all-knowing. Neither are his demons. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time at once. And as soon as he finds out that you're a tough nut to crack, he's wasting his time, then he'll go try to find a softer nut to crack. It's true. Resist the devil. And what will he do? He will flee. Don't fear Satan so much that one day you will stand before God in absolute ignorance. Do you get what I'm saying? Don't fear what Satan can do to us. Don't fear the punishments that he can give us here. Because one day we're going to have an accountability meeting. And it's going to be with somebody much greater than Satan himself. And he's not asked us to give up our lives. He's not asked us to give up anything. He's just said, move about your life and take what I've given you with you. That's all he said. Take what I've given you with you. Proclaim the gospel through your day when opportunity presents itself. You see the chance to do something that's good, you do it good. I can't hardly walk through Walmart anymore without some sweet little old lady asking me to get something off top shelf. Excuse me, sir. Yes, ma'am. What would you like? It's pretty much no what it is anymore. My day would go a lot faster if I just ignored her and walked off. Just remember, folks, you're important. Whether you think you are or not, whether you define yourself as such or not, you are absolutely important. And your presence means something, and your absence means something to everybody. You may not ever sit and think about or calculate the value of your presence. But there's a reason that God told us to not forsake the gathering together, especially as the days continue to get harder. Because we're the only ones that have the ability to encourage each other. We're the only ones that have the ability to hug each other and love, love each other through hard times. Through really hard times. Because we relate. If you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, I'm not going to stand up here and try to talk you into it. Because I don't want you to be saved because I talked you into it. If the Holy Spirit moves in you, and you'll know what that sounds like. I don't even know how to explain it to you, but you'll know who it is. The Holy Spirit moves on you. Just step out in the aisle. Don't question. Don't pause. Don't wait. Step out in the aisle. Come down here and tell me that you want to be saved. I can't save you. But I will take whatever time is necessary to make sure that you know everything that you need to know about the one who can. And then we'll teach you everything that you can know. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to walk away knowing that you have purpose and that your purpose touches the kingdom and God's people in ways that you can't even begin to catch if you're just being the person that Jesus wants you to be. And as fallen as all of us are in trying to carry that out, the individuals who always strive for it are the ones who are closest to it. This relationship has much to offer, and I can prove to you that it has much to offer. And it's the best proof I could possibly give you. And it's yourself. Do we live a life 
that's not bound down by legalism, following rules because we have to, but do we live life with purpose, knowing that everything that we say and everything that we do is going to provoke a reaction? Are we being kingdom people who are loving and healing people? Or are we being selfish people who've just found the peace and comfort in our disobedience? You're important. Has everything in the world to do with this church's future? Has everything in the world to do with the future of the individuals that we come to the realization need him? And you don't have to walk up here. You trust in Christ. You don't have to stand up here trusting trust in Christ. I'm not one of those guys. You whispering in your ear holds no special power. But every time that we consume God's word, the Holy Spirit will pick the spot that we're the weakest. The spot where God's saying, this is the spot we need to handle. This is the peace that we need to deal with. And we know the word of the Lord does not return void. The question isn't whether you have a choice to make today. The question is, are you willing to admit that you are not quite as much as you thought that you could be or was or am? And to realize that Jesus is the one that made up where you fell short. To know that he cares as much for you as he does for me, as he does for them. And he just wants us to live life with him front and center. So that as we go about it, that's who people see. Wherever you may fall in this, can ask nothing more than for you to just be obedient. Be obedient to him. That's what he says. Apply it to your life. You don't have to tell me the story. But this is the truth. You will choose how you walk out of here today. Nobody else. Not. We'll be open to you. Seek and you will find. Amen. Thank you, Brother Keith. And for those listening on the podcast, I want to offer that same opportunity to you to come to the Lord. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, now is the time to do so. By default, we are all sinners separated from God, and there is nothing we can do on our own to fix that. That's why God sent His only Son, Jesus, to come live a life without sin. He was put to death on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for that sin. And to seal the deal, he came back from the dead three days later. If you truly believe that and ask him into your heart, you will be saved. If you're already a believer, this is a great opportunity to recenter your life in Christ. Take these next few minutes in prayer, and I'll be praying for you as well.
Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.